From our very first breath, we reach out. Co-regulators, not self-regulation, is in our nature. We find our cues from the sun and the moon. From each parent and caregiver, we find our place in this great turning planet. By turning to one another generation to generation, we awaken to the dawn and fall asleep at the evening's end. Our life's journey is part of something greater, something simple, something divine. A flame cannot be lit without a spark. A life cannot begin without the air. And we cannot begin to find ourselves without love. May we reach out to one another. May we offer love and nurturing care. May we join together in celebration of the interdependence of our lives. In this spirit, let us worship together. follow the spiritual practice of blessing. When we bless someone, we are taking time to acknowledge those things that happen in the world that create a better place for all of us. Today, we will bless those who care for our children. I invite you to sit comfortably, sit back in your chair, rest both your feet on the ground, feel the weight of your body as your mind relaxes, and breathe in and out, Sit in this space and be part of a blessing of the world. Blessed is the person who feeds and warms, washes and comforts a child and soothes them in illness, for they shall be called caregivers. Blessed is the person who gives shelter and food, clothing, toys, books and tools, for they shall be called provider. Blessed is the person who opens doors in the child's experience, who explains the puzzling and wondering at the mysterious, for they shall be called teacher. Blessed is the person who shields a child from that which will wither and warp, who protects a child from abuse and exploitation, who guards against bullying and scorn, for they shall be called defender. Blessed is the person who takes the time to listen, who is there for a child in the darkness, who is aware of the fears, who speaks the words of encouragement in moments of despair, for they shall be called sustainer. Blessed is the person who guides a child in the search for beauty, who encourages them at what is daunting, who steadies them as they explore new experiences, who fires their aspirations and their dreams. For they shall be called inspirer. Blessed are all these persons 
who help bring an infant along the many paths to maturity. For them, for in them is the future of the well-being of humanity. In 1972, Unitarian Julia Ward Howe began advocating for the creation of Mother's Day for Peace to be held on June 2nd each year. This was not the sentimental holiday it has become today, but a recognition of how being a mother always feels vulnerable, and especially more so during times of violence. Howe's efforts were not successful, but in 1907, Anna Jarvis, a Methodist, began a campaign to establish a permanent Mother's Day. By the following year, the YMCA had taken up the cause, and in 1914, Woodrow Wilson signed a congressional resolution establishing Mother's Day in the United States. This is the original Mother's Day proclamation in the words of Julia Ward Howe. Arise then, women of this day. Arise all women who have hearts, whether our baptism be of water or of tears. Say firmly, we will not have great questions decided by irrelevant agencies. Our husbands will not come to us reeking with carnage for caresses and applause. Our sons shall not be taken from us to unlearn all that we have been able to teach them of charity, mercy, and patience. We, the women of one country, will be too tender of those of another country to allow our sons to be trained to injure theirs. From the bosom of the devastated earth, a voice goes up with our own. It says, disarm, disarm. The sword of murder is not the balance of justice. Blood does not wipe out dishonor, nor violence indicate possession. As men have often forsaken the plow and the anvil at the summons of war, let women now leave all that may be left of home for a great and earnest day of counsel. Let them meet first as women to bewail and commemorate the dead. Let them solemnly take counsel with each other as to the means whereby the great human family can live in peace. And each bearing after her own time the sacred impress, not of Caesar, but of God. This morning, we are going to hear from three members of this congregation talking about their experience of mothering, starting with Janet Culler. Hi, this is my mother. Irene Page in around 2006, toward the end of her life, mom had a very hard life. She lost her own mother, Della Arismeth, when mom was very little. She remembered waving goodbye to her and also seeing her mom's body laying in a casket in the living room, which was not uncommon in the 1920s. Was raised by a critical aunt and lacked self-confidence. She was proud of marrying Warren, who was going into the ministry. She became a devoted and full-time mom and minister's wife, which was isolating and lonely. She could be tearful and anxious, but she was a sweet spirit. She was rather selfless. I didn't take after her. I took after my dad more, both being youngest children. I was impacted by feminism, but I see mom's face in the mirror sometimes, 
her expressions. I hear her sayings coming out of my mouth. I see her hands in mine, brown spotted, wrinkled. She taught me compassion, kindness, and appreciation of all people, stories, nature. I was not selfless. I moved far away from my parents and had a great need to do my own thing in life. But she adapted somehow when I left the church, divorced, and moved away, which was all painful to her. The other photo is of me and Aaron in about 1985. <clears throat> Art and I didn't know Aaron was really a girl inside until into her adulthood. I, unlike my mom, was never really known as a terrific mother. It was a struggle for all of us, a journey of forgiveness. Aaron was different, but so were we. It hurts me now to see gender uh, be named such a big thing with new parents and kids still, even now. Martin, I believe kids should play with whatever they wanted and whomever. <coughs> we were both involved. We were equal co-parents. I knew she was female long before we did. When she came out to us much later, we knew, of course, we loved her and would support her always. And we learned quickly how vulnerable transgender young people are to suicide and violence. What a difference a supportive family makes. We started learning all we could about it through reading and a support group and from Erin herself and many others. Our minister and my sisters and our friends were all so helpful and are still. It's been a difficult journey for her, though, living in this transphobic society. Yes, even in Seattle. I worry every day. We do what we can to support the movement towards safety and protection for full civil rights for LGBTQ people, while many states are going the wrong way. I said yes to being asked to share today because this story is important. When Biden talked about full protection of rights and safety for all transgender people, including kids, I cried. Has that ever been said in a State of the Union address before? Join me, learn, check out the National Center for Transgender Equality for your support. Give what you can, stand up. I am humbled by my relationship with Erin. She's a gift. She's fun and funny, loving and open about her feelings, her struggle, her journey. Having her and our family is a privilege and an ongoing learning. I am again totally a different person as my mom became with the challenges I brought her. Daughtering continues beyond death Mothering is a lifelong learning journey. For me, it's been a journey of grace. Now we will hear from Heather on her experience. Thank you. There are so many things that I could talk about, uh, about being a mother. 
But since it's Mother's Day is about moms, I wanted to talk about how being a mom has made me a better person. Growing up in our family, my dad was never wrong. I internalized that admitting you were wrong was to admit that you were weak or not smart or not perfect. Saying I wasn't sure about something was almost as hard and apologizing? Why should a person apologize when they weren't wrong in the first place? I decided early on in life that I was never going to get married and definitely did not want biological children. I had quite an explanation formed for why these things were not a good choice for me. There were pretty good reasons. I had argued the points many times with just about anyone that made the mistake of asking me. With college, I started, an, I started getting an education in the fact that I didn't know everything. I met this great guy there, and within a couple of years, I knew I didn't want to go through life without him. This is where I had to take what Michelle Obama calls a swerve, which is a much more positive way of looking at the fact that you have been really wrong about something in your life and want to change. To me, this swerve was the first time that I basically said to everyone I knew that I had been wrong about what I wanted in life. Marriage forced me to figure out that not everyone wanted to have an hours long debate over which way towel should be folded or whether or not it was more beneficial to take the back roads or the interstate. If I wanted to have a successful partnership, I would have to accept that I was wrong sometimes and learn to apologize and mean it. Over the next 10 years, I really thought I'd gotten good at it. Then we decided to have kids. It was time to very publicly state yet again that I had been wrong. As a baby, my daughter Clara felt like just an, a little extension of me, albeit a sometimes noisy part of me, but I was still calling the shots. However, she quickly developed into a very precocious toddler. She didn't accept my thoughts outright or what I wanted her to do. She made choices, both good and bad. I saw in her nature as a toddler the same stubbornness and inability to admit when she was wrong that I had still shown in my 20s. I knew this would make for some rough teenage years ahead of us. How could I teach her lessons that I had missed? I didn't have the answer. I felt huge amounts of societal pressure to be perfect as a mom, to know all the answers, and to do it the right way. I think many mothers feel this these days and the prevalence of social media. Moms are in a defensive position, waiting for someone to judge them. Just hearing about how another parent does it differently can make a mom feel less than. I felt myself falling back into the pattern of not wanting to say I was wrong because it felt like saying I was wrong was saying I was screwing up my kids. And of course, if I couldn't say I was wrong, I couldn't apologize. But I was making mistakes, as every parent does. And the pressure to justify mistakes was isolating. I am by nature a rather open person, and this closure was depressing. One day, it just clicked for me. I don't remember the first time I apologized to my three-year-old, but I do remember how freeing it felt to tell her little ears that I wasn't perfect and that I didn't know everything. I knew if I wanted my kids to be their truest selves, they had to be able to accept when they were wrong. I wanted to model that. I can tell them why I'm sorry and spend time explaining how it happens to everyone. I get to cuddle with them 
and the relief of their forgiveness and their knowledge that I'm not perfect. It releases the pressure to be a perfect mother. I could live the values I wanted to teach them. Then making mistakes wasn't bad. It was learning together. It became about how we fail forward from mistakes. We learn, we make amends, we move forward better for it. It allowed me to let go of the fear of being judged by society or other moms and accept that there were many ways to do things as a parent. I could learn from all of them. My kids can see by watching me that I don't have all the answers and they don't have to either. It's a relief to us both. There is room to search for answers themselves. If one day they find themselves needing to swerve, I hope they will. Had I not been willing to swerve, I would have missed out on the greatest joys of my life. I frequently discover I'm wrong, but thanks to becoming a mother, I now see the beauty in being wrong, in failing, in a sincere apology given well, and in the relief of forgiveness. And now, Reverend Nancy will share her experience of mothering. Thank you, Janet, and thank you, Heather. Those are beautiful stories about mothering. <clears throat> By my early 30s, I had grown into a, a pretty cynical and sarcastic person and coupled with a, a sense of righteous anger that I walked around holding on my shoulder I don't believe that I was an easy person to be a friend with or even to spend much time with. Several times I had friends and family ask me if I planned to have children. And since I had never envisioned myself as a mother, a lot like Heather, I was very firm when I said I was not. And then they advised me that that was a wise decision. They told me that I was not the mothering type and I was not very affectionate. So then, of course, just to be contrary, I had kids. And you know, having kids changed my life in ways that I never, never would have predicted or anticipated. My first child, Cody, she really helped me identify parts of myself that I had never known existed. First of all, I realized this protective instinct. It was like this innate sense it came out from deep inside me. It was a hyper-awareness of her very being, her, and her presence and her well-being. I remember one time lying in the bathtub, and suddenly I knew something was wrong, and I leapt out of the bathtub and ran to the bathroom where she was just starting to choke on a quarter that she had found. This awareness of her never stopped. Without conscious thought, I always knew where she was and what she was doing. Where did that profound intertwined awareness arise from? I was always amazed. And the other most important thing about Cody is that she liberated me. That emotionally vulnerable part of myself, part of my soul had been closed. And suddenly, not only was it okay, but I had to, and I was encouraged to love this being with all of my heart. I can't express how much this opened up a whole new world to me. My son, Sam, presented me with challenges that changed 
my beliefs and my capacities and in my personality. Sam had oppositional defiance disorders starting right from birth, um, manifesting with running away from home at the age of four. He was always very quick to anger and never distractible from anything. And at first we tried to control his behavior using all the typical rewards and the punishments that they used in the schools and recommended by friends um, and that we learned about in all the parenting books that we read and nothing worked. He was suspended from his preschool and his elementary school. He was on a first name basis with all the principals he ever had going through school. Nothing worked until I changed. My anger only got in the way. I had to learn new ways to communicate and listening. And I had to be his advocate. Even when his behavior was a problem, I had to find a way to let him know there was a kernel of his inner self that he could hold as essential, as sacred. I had to teach him. He was always loved. And I promised him I would always be there for him. I believe that if I had not had Cody first, who taught me how to love openly, I would not have been able to summon the love I needed to raise Sam. And Sam forced me to confront my own anger, cynicism, and predilection to judgmental. I had to learn to listen thoughtfully and to be present before responding, or we would get nowhere together. Learning to be a mother broke my heart open, open in ways that needed to be opened. Blessings. Let it be a dance we do. May I have this dance with you. Through the good times and the bad times too. Let it be a dance. Everybody turn and Good times and the bad times too. 